Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, June 8th, 2020. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us the story of holding rogue weddings in the Disney parks and how it led to the Disney Wedding Pavilion. Let's get started by bringing in the man who observes that if you die in the same hospital you were born, your lifetime average velocity will be zero. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? The last time I was actually inside a hospital, I think they did have Highlights Magazine from 1959 there, <laughs> which I also remember reading as an infant. Oh, goofus and gallant. Goofus and gallant, exactly. Der- our own uh, Derek Bergen does this Saturday Six series in the blog, mm-hmm. and it's called Derek and David, and it's modeled after this. Ah. And Derek did a great cartoon this past Saturday mm-hmm. on how to observe you know, social distancing and safety practices mm-hmm. in the parks. And the, the one that I thought was, was best was Derek is goofus mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the cartoons. But it shows him um, his idea of washing hands is taking a, a bar of zest soap that he got from the hotels mm-hmm. and using it on the Popeye and Bluto bilge rat <laughs> uh, ride at Universal, which by the way, for those of you who haven't been on the ride, it is... It's as if Universal says, we're going to send you through a shower. There's no pretense no, of you know, elaborate theming. It's, we're going to get you as, as wet as you can on this ride, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the fun of it. There's not a lot of art <laughs> or, or, or structured narrative to the, to the story. Let's get you wet. What has always fascinated me is to have Popeye and Bluto's bilge rat barges just up the street from Dudley Do-Right's Ripsaw Falls. I mean, seriously, oh, yeah. when you do go into that part of the, the park, it is literally you are living the back of a shampoo bottle. It's rinse, lather, repeat. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. I should title. That should be the title of that section in yeah. the official guide. Yeah. How is it not? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Jim, a lucky seven weeks in a row Mm -hmm. with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Folks, uh, Jim and I are overwhelmingly grateful for the support. And as soon as the parks open, Mm -hmm. we'll figure out a way to bring you some exclusive in-park content. Thanks to new subscribers, Chris D., Matt D., and Jennifer D. Jim, do we have a family plan or something? Did we launch one and I don't know about it? It's the three Ds. <laughs> and thanks to longtime subscribers, Colleen P., Ryan H., and Sarah V. Jim, these folks are the roadies and studio crew for Aerosmith in the pre-show for Rock and Roller Coaster. Colleen, in some very good makeup, is the audio engineer sitting in front of the console. And Chris is the Chris that Joe Perry refers to when he says, Chris, can you bring me my black class ball? But to get everyone in the scene, Matt actually plays Chris in the clip. And I'm pretty sure Sarah is driving the limo. Everyone got their Screen Actors Guild card and some tasty residuals for life. True story, Jim. I learned so much in this segment of the show. All right, Jim, the big uh, news from Walt Disney World. First, Florida moved to phase two of its restrictions on June 5th. That was last Friday. Mm -hmm. So at this point, restaurants, retail stores, and gyms can operate at full capacity and gatherings of up to 50 people are permitted. So that means I think we'll see more expansion at uh, Disney Springs, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And no word yet on phase three, but progress is being made. Gatherings of, of 50 people or more. I, it's, I, Sorry, up to 50 people. Up, up, to, up fi- to 50 Okay, people. up to 50 people. So, And we're still doing like the virtual queuing for World of Disney, right? I think so. I think we'll still, we're still maintaining a uh, social distance. Okay. I was, uh, I was at Publix yesterday mm-hmm. and they've got uh, stickers down everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I think I think we're still doing that, and we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future. Got it. Also, uh, everyone that I saw yesterday at Publix was wearing a mask. So mm-hmm. That was good. Okay, good to hear that. That's an accepted thing now. Safety first. Yep. All right. Uh, thanks to our friends over at uh, www.magic.com and to Scott Gustin on Twitter for compiling uh, this little bit of information. Mm-hmm. It's that Disney is recalling food and beverage workers to start ramping up the resorts. So the uh, food and bev workers are coming back to these resorts, mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom, Boardwalk Contemporary, Fort Wilderness, Grand Floridian, Old Key West, Pauly Riviera, Saratoga, Wilderness Lodge, Yacht and Beach Clubs. So you'll notice there that the only moderate is Fort Wilderness mm-hmm. and there are no values in there. I think that's a coincidence. I don't think there's anything to be read okay. into that, mm-hmm. for example, about values not opening. I think it's uh, those things first. Okay. Also, housekeeping coming back at Animal Kingdom, Boardwalk Contemporary, uh, I think all of them, all of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, house, so housekeeping coming back there too. Again, nothing to read into it about uh, the moderate, the values. I think what they're doing is starting with the small hotels first mm-hmm. to make sure everything goes okay and then move on to the bigger ones. And of course, the deluxes have some of the smallest room capacities. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, of the other resorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, in other news, uh, Jim, you sent me this survey that you got last Friday, yeah. and it was from Disneyland. Yeah, to give, give a little background here, over the weekend, a number of annual pass holders were sent this survey. I thank the folks who, who reached out and shared uh, image captures of this, but it, it, it's a fascinating survey, Glenn. I've, I've never seen them ask some of these questions. Yeah. So, which questions of those do you think are uh, are the most relevant? They ask questions about the guest's financial status and their, their job security. I mean, this is the actual question right. from the survey. Thinking one month from now, how concerned are you about each of the following? I will have a job. I will be able to pay my bills. I will be able to provide for myself and my family. That's a really interesting thing for the happiest place on earth to be checking on. Yeah, they they haven't really. Uh, it is rare for them in surveys. Mm-hmm to ask questions about things that uh, what they're really asking is about how, how comfortable are you spending money in a theme park, right? That's that's the essence. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. You only typically see those questions to, to annual pass holders and maybe DVC members. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's rare. To, I, I don't know that we've seen many of those questions to the general public. Okay. And especially that level of detail. But yeah, you're right. The other question that really jumped out from the survey was, which of the following sources do you trust most for health and safety guidelines to help protect travelers from COVID-19? And it starts with Dr. Deborah Bricks, who, again, is one of the experts you typically see at White House briefings. Then it goes on to ask about the CDC, Center of Disease Control. Then it's industry associations, a U.S. Travel Association, and then elected government officials, national printer online media, and they specifically cite New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, state and local health agencies, Dr. Anthony Fauci, then friends and family, government task forces, state and local tourist agencies, and then how about cable news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, then broadcast network news outlets, ABC, CBS, NBC, my personal physician, uh, local uh, television and news, and none of the above. And this is really a Disneyland Resort-specific question because Disneyland is, of course, located in Orange County, California, which is one of the most conservative right, enclaves right. in the country. 
it may offend people to hear something like that. But look, we have circumstantial evidence that, that backs this up. I mean, for example, back in 1973, when the Disneyland decided to close down Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln so they could bring in the Walt Disney story, they actually got lots and lots of angry letters from conservatives who lived in Orange County to the effect of, how dare you take Lincoln out of Disneyland? And it got so heated that in 1975, Disney actually shuts down the Main Street Opera House. And when it reopens, there's now a hybrid show in place where it's the Walt Disney story featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And then jump ahead to the summer of 1990 when when word leaks out that the Walt Disney story with, with featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln is, is going to be closing down after Labor Day so that they can then load in Kermit the Frog Presents Muppet Vision. And there was another wave of angry phone calls and letters from Orange County conservatives insisting that Mr. Lincoln be left right where he is. And so August of the 24th, the Los Angeles Times runs a story to the effect of Abe Lincoln to stay, Kermit hops away. Just like in 74 and again in 1990, the only reason that Disney was looking to shut down Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln is because nobody went. I mean, it would play all day to less than a third capacity. Right. Even today, that's still a problem. I mean, you of all people know that with your, your work on the unofficial guide. It's just the attraction that everybody treats like a fire extinguisher. I mean, they, it's like church. We all say it's great. <laughs> yeah. How many of us actually go? Yeah, Come on. yeah that's it exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Disneyland is 70% of the people who come to that park come from within 100 miles. So it's a question of where are you getting your news? Who are you trusting? Especially when it comes to COVID, it's, you know, which, which then factors in when are you going to be comfortable about coming back to Disneyland Park or California Adventure? That's a, a great point. I noticed, too, that the very next question after that mm -hmm. is, when do you think you'll feel comfortable coming back to the park? Yeah. And it lists a, a set of criteria, similar to ones we just talked about, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, local government declares it's safe to travel. Mm -hmm. Better testing. The federal government says it's safe to travel. Mm -hmm. Schools reopen, stay-at-home orders lifted, and so on. One of them, by the way, is vaccine becomes available. I think, Jim, of all of the survey responses yeah. that... I would want to see in all the surveys that we've, we've talked about since this, this epidemic outbreak, mm -hmm. this is the most interesting one to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, I would love to see that. By the way, there is one choice there. The last two choices, did you notice are never <laughs> like I'll, I'll feel comfortable. Never. Yeah. <laughs> and then the exact opposite. I'm already comfortable yeah. returning to this. So for me, it's fascinating that they are in fact gathering this information and the fact that it just shows how hard it is for Disney to get its arms around this. Because again, there's one, the state of California says it, it's okay to go back. and But it, at the same right. time, it's like the very next question, thinking about when Disneyland Park reopens, what best describes you? And that I would be comfort, comfortable visiting the first day it opens, if my pass allows. I would wait at first to make sure it's safe to visit. And then it would be a long time before I consider visiting. And then finally, I am unsure. That's the probably the number number two question. That I would uh, mm. that I would like to see. No. They ask. Uh, there's a question about how likely you'd be, uh, how likely you would be to visit mm -hmm. if the following changes were made. Mm -hmm. So significantly limiting attendance. By the way, we've got a listener question on that coming up. Okay. Enhanced cleaning procedures, social distancing, new specialized health and safety training, employee health screening, uh, wearing masks, and so on. Mm -hmm. Also, guest changes where guests participate in a pre-arrival health questionnaire. We already do this when we're going on cruises. Mm -hmm. 
complimentary hand sanitizer or disinfectant wipes and uh, wearing masks or, or face coverings. Mm-hmm. So they talk about the operational changes and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was, a, it was a great survey. I would love to see, um, love to see more information. I'd love to see the results of the survey. Did you notice, by the way, too, the last, I think the last question, or one of the last questions, mm-hmm. um, was when you're looking for information regarding which app mm-hmm. you might be interested in using when the parks, once, it, once Disneyland reopens, it's got the Disney Play app. It's got the Disney Resort app. It's mm-hmm. got the mobile order for food. It's got the MaxPass app. Mm-hmm. But two options that we haven't seen before. A mobile show reservations app mm-hmm. allowing guests to select and reserve seats for a show. I mean, my AMC theater does this already. Mm-hmm. Bring it on, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then virtual queues. And we've talked about virtual queues before. Obviously, Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. is a virtual queue. The thing that is unclear to me mm-hmm. on all this talk about virtual queues is whether you'll be able to be in more than one once. Oh, interesting right? point. And, and the reason for that is, as you've, you and I have pointed out, mm-hmm. we know from Disney's own internal documents, mm-hmm. right? we know from the Buzz Price archives, mm-hmm. that something like a third of the people in a theme park at any given time are in lines for a ride or actually on the ride. Mm-hmm. Great. With virtual queues, if a third of the people who were in lines are now not in lines anymore, mm-hmm. they're in the regular public spaces for the park, how does that impact the number of people that you can put in the park when you enforce social distancing mm-hmm. guidelines? God. Right. That, I think, is the big the big question there, because if if everything's virtual, mm-hmm. then you've got, I think, my math could be wrong, but I think you'd have many more people standing around in the public areas, and I'm not entirely sure that's the goal. I don't know that that's the consequence that people want. So that's my big question. I'd love to know what's going on around virtual queues. To our Disney insiders, mm-hmm. y'all know what you need to do. I'm just saying. Yeah, and it's just, wow, this is this is FastPass for visitors. Remember that that first year or two that FastPass was operating and Disney had to learn the hard <laughs> way that, you know, when you, yeah. you cut loose a third of the people and then the impact that it has on stores and shops. and Oh, it price. changed. it. I mean, it, it changed how we all visit the parks, right? Yeah. And I think, I think this has the potential to do the same thing. And so... And Disney, Disney knows this, and, and Universal is recognizing it too, right? Mm-hmm. That these changes are going to bring. We're going to try and predict what could happen, right? You can model it, you can simulate it, but boy, the first couple of days are just going to be a learning experience. Be sure to pack extra patients, and it, it'll all be fine. Yeah. I think. I think my, I, we, we talked about this before the show started, but Jim, I think my big concern right now is the amount of rain I'm getting in Central Florida is just astounding. I don't know if you guys can hear the thunder and uh, and the rain that's pounding in the background here, but. I was telling Jim that uh, my basil and tomato plants are actually growing mushrooms in between in between the, the plants. That's how much rain we've been getting in Central Florida. That's my big concern right now. Literally, a marinara sauce all in one pot. That's it's amazing. Good. So <laughs> it's, it's just it's super convenient, yeah. right? <laughs> Why is this not in Living with the Land? Yeah. All right. On to listener questions, Jim. Mm-hmm. Our friend Chris writes in to say this. Hi, I wonder if the Disney dish could talk about the logistics of the NBA and MLS coming to Disney World. I don't. I really don't see those groups joining the cheer groups at the All Star Resorts. What hotels do you think they'll use? Do you think the players will be in the parks? And I think the NBA is planning to go till October. Mm-hmm. And Chris says thanks. So Jim, we're recording this early in the morning on Thursday the fourth, mm-hmm. and later today, I think at twelve thirty, actually, the NBA is going to announce its plans mm-hmm. for Walt Disney World. And you and I, I think, have, have hinted to this in the past mm-hmm. that the original plan 
that we heard was to have all of the players, the NBA players, stay at, we think, mm -hmm. the uh, Coronado Springs right. Resort, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, at the Grand Destino. Mm -hmm. But then I heard the NBA was going to allow higher-ranked teams to pick the resorts that they stay at. So, for example, if Milwaukee is the number one team, mm -hmm. they could pick the Grand Floridian. And my, my friend, Brian, who works for us, had the best joke I've ever heard on this. And he said, of course, the New York Knicks will pick Fort Wilderness thinking it's the Wilderness Lodge. <laughs> if that does not sum up the New York Knicks draft <laughs> strategy for the last uh, 20 years. It's it is, funny because it's true. Okay. It's funny. It's, it's a, <laughs> uh, in every bit of humor, a little bit of truth. But that's what I've heard, yeah. right? That the NBA could allow the players to pick the hotels that they're at based on ranking. And boy, if that's what happens in a couple hours when the, when the news comes out, it is going to be fascinating to see how the NBA players rank the Disney World resorts. I can't wait. I don't know if you've heard the story about uh, Tyler Perry and how he's trying to get his production facility in Atlanta up and running again. And one of the ideas that he's floating is that if you're making a TV show or a movie with me, you're actually going to stay on campus. I was talking with folks at the resort about these NBA players. And, and the weird part of it is, is that Disney was thinking that it's going to be wonderful because they, the players will be there and this will excite people who love basketball and they'll come down and they'll want to get autographs. And they're like, oh, God, no. I mean, you know, they, yeah, we're, we're going to be in a bubble. Yeah, yeah no. no, that's it. Exactly. That supposedly was the initial conceit of putting them all up at uh, the Coronado and the Grand Destino. You know, the notion of they will be there, basically bubbled away from the public. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, part of Chris's question, do you think the players will be in the parks? It's like, my understanding is they're going to be actively discouraged from doing that. Because again, we're still in this COVID-19 space. Yeah, the idea is that if you interact with the public and then you mm -hmm. bring it back to the hotel, you basically expose the hotel. I, I did notice that in some of the NBA promotional materials to the players, I don't know if we should, I'm not exposing any sources talking about this. Okay. okay. So the pitch mm -hmm. to the players was more around things like golf and recreation yeah. and weather mm -hmm. and decidedly less about the parks. Yeah. They were supposed to actually hold one entire golf course out that was literally going to be not available to the public. It was going to be available to the players. Yeah. But again, this is a work in progress, folks. Come 1230, we'll learn more. But even then, this will this will be finessed when they're actually on the ground. I would be super surprised if they were not all in a handful of resorts. I mean, I, I, I think know. for logistics, it's easier to be one. But boy, if they're, if they're spread out like over the Magic Kingdom Resort area... They, they are going to mingle with regular guests mm -hmm. unless they somehow walk off an entire section of each resort, yeah. and which is fine too, right? We'll, we'll see at 1230. It'll be great to talk about it. Yep. Yep. All right. Our pal Steven asks, when do you think Disney will resume ticket sales? And do you think there'll be any availability for July and August when they do? So this is a great question. And it's, uh, it's going to link into uh, a question we have later on. Mm -hmm. It really depends on, Two things, mm -hmm. or three things, really. One, what the capacity is of the parks mm -hmm. when they open in July and August. Yeah. So we know that, for example, the Magic Kingdom holds like, you know, eighty thousand people. Mm -hmm. The Animal Kingdom is like I think forty-five thousand. I think the uh, studios might be like fifty or sixty, um, and Epcot maybe a hundred, hundred and ten. Mm -hmm. Right. But we're going to start way lower than those numbers. Right. 
So Stephen, we're going to talk, we have another question coming up about hotel resort guests, and we're going to answer your question in that. So stay tuned for five more minutes. Okay. All right. The always ebullient James mm-hmm. sends in this. Good day. I don't know if the right, if this is the right place to ask, but I'll give it a shot. Now that all fast passes have been canceled, is there any word of Disney introducing a paid fast pass max type system in the Florida parks? I've used extensively. I've used both extensively, and I'd love if they moved over this system. What are your thoughts? So I think uh, James here is referring to both the MaxPass system in Disneyland and the paid FastPass system mm. in Disneyland Paris. Yeah. You face it, since the very first time the deck came through for this program, this has been talked about. This has been something that's been waiting in the wings for Walt Disney World, but the, you know, the, there was a hesitancy to pull the trigger on it. There is going to be so much pressure to make up lost revenue. It's hard to see Disney not considering this seriously, but at the same time, it's been fascinating to me that there has been this hesitation for years to start this at Walt Disney World. Yeah, you notice that they started off in France and California, not in Orlando for this. And James, I think we've we've talked on this show in the past Mm -hmm. about it, it hasn't been a, it's been sort of an open secret, mm-hmm. right? That, that Disney is trying, to, is looking to, for ways to monetize mm-hmm. FastPass in Orlando. If you look at the job postings mm-hmm. for the people who are working on the Disney Genie app, mm-hmm. for example, one of their like three or four goals is revenue generation on that. Yeah. So if all you're doing is trying to save people in line and you need to make money on that, mm-hmm. what's the big asset that Disney World has that nobody else has? that you can sell in an app and it's fast passes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think it would be insane mm-hmm. from a management perspective to implement the selling of fast passes while there are capacity or ride restrictions in place in the parks. It just reeks of profiteering. It does. The public feedback on that mm-hmm. would be so bad that I think Disney would not consider it. So I don't think you're gonna see paid fast pass mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World at least until all of the restrictions around capacity and social distancing and lines have been have been removed and that so that might be a year or so in advance okay okay certainly makes sense but again it's just would you just look at what's been going on on wall street and you know what people have been talking about disney celebrating that setting that the parks and the resorts are going to be under such pressure going forward oh yeah i think you've got the time frame right i think disney's been trying so hard not to the price-gouging issue, taking advantage of the situation, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean the the revenue pressure on Disney. Well, see, you you notice though that mm-hmm. when Disney canceled the dining reserve, the uh, all the ADRs and the dining plans and everything mm-hmm. through the end of September of 2021, mm-hmm. they're basically writing off all of fiscal year 2020 and all of fiscal year 2021. And I think that mm-hmm. that is kind of the time frame guide that I would give James. Mm-hmm. On this, Disney's Disney said that basically the next the next eighteen months, or at least through October of 20, uh, 2021, it, it's going to be a wash, yeah. right? Yeah, and sense. I think that gives them some leverage with Wall Street mm-hmm. to say, "Look, we're going to feeling be feeling the effects of this COVID nineteen thing for at least a year, and so that's going to take off some of the pressure from Disney I, to hit any sort of revenue targets." And this is all the way around the barn. Lent. I mean, I, I, I want to say the head of Cinemark, the, the owner of you know, a large cinema chain, was talking about the fact that he anticipated 
that we wouldn't be back to the normal entertainment cycle, you know, the notion of big new movie opens every Friday till 2022. Yeah. And same thing too with, uh, I mean, I think cruising will be 2022 as well. Yeah. There'll be a lot of things that, uh, that, that come on more slowly than others. Mm-hmm. I do think at some point though, when, uh, when Disney's, Oh, and Disney gets really, really tight for revenue. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Josh tomorrow, by the way, who I love, mm-hmm. and his staff out on Main Street, tap dancing for uh, with hats on the ground, asking for money. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my right. I, I can see Josh with a top hat and a cane. There you go. Like literally doing this dance as I'm saying it. So, okay. Josh, if you're listening, you know I love you. Yep. Uh, and I, I'm serious. I think he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, our next uh, question is from Jim, mm. who asks this question about the Magic Kingdom Resort area. Is there any indication that Disney will fast track the walkway from the Grand Floridian to the Magic Kingdom? It seems like a good way to help with social distancing. The people coming from the Poly and the Grand Floridian that wish to get to the Magic Kingdom and not have to use Disney transportation. Also, it could be an overflow area for entering the park. What do you think, Jim? What's been fascinating lately is hearing which projects are getting greenlit. Like, I don't know if you saw the news to the effect of the Spaceship Earth redo. It was supposed to have shut down last week for this reinvention. It's gone. It's off the table. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one is kind of a gimme for the very reason that Jim was saying, you know, to the effect of this allows us, you know, another way, you know, another safety valve to get folks out of the park. So my understanding is, yes, this one is going forward. They're looking to have it completed, unfortunately, fall partially that is because they're like i'm sorry you know we're headed into the summer months with these new uh capacity issues and we just don't know how many people are going to be staying at the flow how many of them are going to want to go back and forth to the park you know we don't know where this is in the priority list and frankly there are other things that need to be done that much quicker yeah i mean the other thing too is it's it's the rainy season now in florida as as we alluded to earlier and you know working near water with lightning Lower on our priority list of safety, but but still on the list. Yeah, and if you you know you want to wear your lucky tinfoil hat, it's just it's a bad, <laughs> bad assignment. So it's right. It's a metal bridge <laughs> over water. Yeah, probably. I don't think there, I don't think there's a six foot distance or a or a, 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 a an N95 mask in the world that's going to save you from those problems. Ship. There you go. <laughs> All right. Our friend uh, Fuzz writes in with this, and this is a reference to the question that uh, that Stephen asked earlier. And it's, uh, it's this. Uh, can Len determine how much of the four parks capacity is consumed on a regular summer day by vacation club members? Same thing for the thousands of rooms at Walt Disney World Resorts. I think that 20% of theme park capacity couldn't cover that many hotel guests. So, uh, so this is actually a super interesting question. And I don't know that we've, actually, we've done the math before on this one, Jim, but mm-hmm. Disney themselves operate around... 28,000 hotel rooms, if you count the Fort Wilderness campsites as, as rooms. There's another uh, 3,300 at the Swan and Dolphin Shades of Green in Four Seasons, and then another 3,500 at the Disney Springs Resorts for a total of just under 34,900. Let's call it 35,000 to make the math easier. And the reason why I include in the Dolphin, the Shades of Green, the Four Seasons, and the Disney Springs hotels is that they've all got things like extra magic hour benefits or, you know, quote, some sort of on-site benefit that's extended to guests of the Disney-owned resorts. Okay. And let's say two people per room, Mm -hmm. again, to make the math easier. That's 70,000 people uh, that you've got to distribute among the four parks, assuming that there's 100% occupancy, which there's not, but let's let's go with this. I'm not sure that Disney's going to put 70,000 people in the parks when they reopen in July. 
I don't think the Magic Kingdom is going to have more than 15,000 and it could be, you know, eight or 10, maybe 10,000 at the Animal Kingdom in the studios. And I think, uh, I mean, it's hard to estimate Epcot mm-hmm. with everything that's going on there. But if you want to say 20K at Epcot, mm-hmm. that puts you at 55,000 people, right? So if the hotels are completely full, you can't fit everyone in, in the hotels who wants to go to the park. And the resorts aren't going to be full when they open. Mm-hmm. Even if the hotels are 50%. Mm-hmm. Occupied, and that's a. By the way, that's a horrible number. Disney averages around ninety percent occupancy in its hotel rooms, and DVC rooms are like ninety-five percent occupied. But even at fifty percent occupancy of those seventy thousand, you'd still have thirty-five thousand people a day to take up those fifty-five thousand park reservations. And then you've got annual pass holders who are next in line. It's sort of like boarding groups for uh, for planes, right, Jim? You get you get the diamond, the platinum, the silver, the gold, the medallion people. First, then you, th- yeah, then you get uh, yeah, families yeah. with children, and then you get group one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm always in group two, damn it. I just have to throw my carry-on out by the side of the plane. <laughs> you just tie it on the back with some, uh, with some uh, bungee cords. There we go. Hope that it works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think Disney's not going to have any trouble selling out most parks on most days. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be relatively few slots available for, you know, day guests with single day tickets. Mm-hmm. I think that the number of people that Disney's committed to mm-hmm. by saying that the resort guests and those with tickets for specific days and annual pass holders, that they get first shot, it's going to be really hard to just drive up to Orlando one day mm-hmm. and, and walk into the parks. It's a great question. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on that the you uh, did. That uh, you on did. the hotel rooms. The, uh, the funny thing is that I, did a, I had to do an interview with uh, SiriusXM uh, a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. about the NBA. They mm-hmm. asked the NBA question. That's how I gathered the, uh, the hotel statistics. So it's always good to have that, uh, that stuff at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to tell us the history of rogue weddings in the Disney theme parks and how it led to the Disney Wedding Pavilion. We'll be right back. my favorite topics in all of Walt Disney World Park lore is the people who get creative when it comes to getting married in the parks. And I've actually seen a few of these. I've seen the three-minute wedding in front of the uh, Cinderella Castle, mm-hmm. front the front of Cinderella Castle, where you knew it was going on and, and everyone was sort of playing along and Disney security kind of let, let it happen. And I've seen similar things in you know Frontierland as well. But I didn't realize that it happened as often as apparently you've discovered. So why don't you, why don't you tell us about this? This has been going on as far back as the 1960s. That there's a, a number of members of Disney security who, it's not that they turn a blind eye. What they'll typically do is they'll spot one of these things going on. And the official rule is they have to be shut down because, again, there's this fairy tale wedding division that people pay tens of thousands of dollars for the right to have their ceremony inside of the park. The older ladies and gentlemen who work for Disney security have, have a more nuanced attitude. They're far more likely, if they see something like this happen, to slow walk over to the civil ceremony that's happening. Yeah, and I think that that's what, when, I, when I've seen it, the security guards are, I think what they're looking for, number one, is, is this creating a, a safety 
that's it uh, exactly. issue that's with it exactly with mm-hmm. yeah. And if it's not mm-hmm. right, if it looks like you're going to be in and out in a couple of minutes, yeah, they slow walk. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a great way of saying. It. So yeah. typically, what they'll do is they'll get there just as they're completing, it, and it's like, oh well, you know, you're not allowed to do this, but congratulations, and could you quickly <laughs> muzzle tough kids? You know, right? yeah. and, and could you quickly disperse before the area manager sees this, and then I have to stomp on you. But I wanted to talk about the fact that. So there's security offers like like this that'll turn a bland eye. And then there's the infamous captain of the love boats. What? Have you heard about this guy, Lynn? No. Oh, okay. This gentleman was a pilot of the Mark Twain Riverboat at Disneyland in, uh, i got to be careful here about giving specifics. Let's just say, you know, the 1960s to, eh, could be later. <laughs> This guy loved weddings. When he was up in the pilot house and he could look down on the dock of Frontierland, and evidently the Mark Twain was a very popular place to do these quickie weddings because the thinking was you get out on the water, security can't get at you. Exactly. First thing I thought of. Yeah. So (laughs) this guy knew that, you know, it was a preferred venue. So he looked down for the pilot house and he he got really good at spotting sneak wedding parties because they were always dressed a little bit better than the normal theme park guests. And there were always this group of couples that were kind of tightly huddled together and there'd always be one woman holding a tiny bouquet. A tiny bouquet and one distinguished gentleman with a Bible. Oh, yeah. there, There could be that, you know. So, so anyway, what happens is that he'd see that and he'd send a crew member down. And the, the crew member would sort of, you know, slide over to the group and discreetly whisker. He's like, look, can you hold off on having the ceremony till we get by the Indian village or starting in the 70s when we get by the hungry bear? Because by then you're officially out of sight of any area managers or security officers on shore who could potentially call in and say, hey, there's a wedding. Stop it. He sort of redefined, let's make a good guest experience. Because if you came on the Mark Twain, what he would do is, first of all, he'd send the crew upstairs to clear off the back half of the Texas stick. You know, that's the very top floor of the boat. So you then have a space to stage the wedding. And then again, it's like, okay, wait till we get out of sight. Okay, this is the point you're floating by the Indian village. He'd turn off the narration so you could hear the parson give the vows. And then, you know, to to, to really put the cherry on the sundae, you know, he then hustles the wedding party down to the front of the boat. So they take the picture in front of the pilot house, which coincidentally, he's standing at the wheel smiling and beaming. (laughs) So he's in all of these wedding photos. Everyone needs a witness for the wedding. Okay. And then the kicker, he would hold the bride back as the boat came back into the Frontierland dock and let the wedding party and the rest of the guests get off and would then take the bride down to the promenade deck so she could toss the bouquet down to her bridesmaids who were now standing on the frontier land gate. I mean... Oh, from the uh, from the ship. From the ship. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, just this is nice, sweet story. And this was particularly a time when there were very few security cameras in Disneyland Park, especially in the Mark Twain. And so if you had a disgruntled guest who went down to guest relations and said, hey, my trip on the Mark Twain was disrupted by this wedding guest members had plausible deniability it's like no pictures didn't what? happen what are you talking about we would never wedding what i didn't i totally missed that so, wow now i'll be on the lookout for those going there forward. you go i just <laughs> oof. okay now, now of course the problem is is we get into the 80s in disneyland you know starting in 1985 would be open seven days a week uh it got right. problematic but the interesting thing is 
I got to talk with a minister from Buena Park about this very practice, and he was the one who clued me into the the, the captain of the Wait, love boat. Let me just pause here, Jim. Yeah. Do you go to a special priest for theme park confessions? Is that is, that's what I'm hearing here? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is that at the end of the summer ceremony, which, <laughs> you, you know, you step up to the, the and they give you a cup of Beverly, and, you know, and, and I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a, the communion wine, wine is Beverly. There we go. This, so. this tastes like churro. There we go. Pit, pit, pit. Oh, we're going to hell. Um, we're going to hell. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, So, but he was, he actually, he was the one who clued me into the the Captain Love Boat. And he was doing so many weddings at this point. He had the terms and conditions that the the Captain Love Boat would do these ceremonies under. And eventually, by the late 70s, early 80s, they'd settled on a formula. And it was like, can't do this on Saturdays and Sundays. It's the park's too busy, too many witnesses. On the other hand, the ideal time is late spring because of course this is when disneyland is still on its five day a week schedule it's closed on mondays and tuesdays so it's like the ideal time to have a wedding at or a sneaky quick wedding at disneyland is a wednesday morning oh but here's the thing they, they had it down to a science at this point land the ministry would say yeah on tuesday night you're going to check into the disneyland hotel because that means on Wednesday morning, because you're staying at the, the Disneyland Hotel, you can hop on the monorail, get into the park early, and under the radar. Because again, you know, they're still area managers. There's still you know security guys who are aren't cool. But the idea is you're in Tomorrowland, you just saunter over to Frontierland. You just happen to be there when the first Mark Twain, you know, goes out on the water. And they got it down so much to a science at this point that they had a suggested post-wedding venue, which was the Riverbell Terrace. Just literally get off the boat, walk up the street. They do a great breakfast. But by the time the park switched to the seven-day-a-week operating schedule, especially when Disney launched its fairytale weddings division in September of 1991, this really got stifled because, you know, again, it was a, a huge revenue stream. And, you know, just Disney did not want brides who play, paid top dollar to turn around and see folks, like you said, you know, doing the quickie wedding in front of Cinderella Castle. And as you mentioned, this is right. still happening. The very last time I was at Disney Disneyland Park, and this would have been spring of, of 2019, I was uh, taking that, you know, you go by the Snow White Grotto, you can get in the side door. Oh, the Wishing Well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great location. Well, that was the thing. There was this cute little couple exchanging their vows there and just paused for a moment. And, you know, when they were done, congratulated and moved on. But I want to close this out by sharing a story about the very first official wedding that was held on the Mark Twain. All right. Now, this was... Uh, September 24th, 1995, and it pretty much went by the captain of the Love Boat's old playbook, Len. And I'm not going to say that the captain of the Love Boat was actually there for this auspicious occasion, but it is worth noting (laughs) that the father of the groom, a 50-year Disney Company veteran, came to the ceremony dressed in Mark Twain's famous white ice cream suit. <laughs> so make of that what you will, Len, you know? Yeah, yeah, total coincidence. Total it's, coincidence. It's the, so. This is the suit I had clean today. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> but anyway, I'll tell you what, folks, next week we'll do a deeper dive on, again, the launch of uh, Fairytale Weddings Division and especially the the, the construction of the, uh, the wedding pavilion at Walt Disney World. That's fantastic. That'll be our uh, regular show for uh, next week. And that's going to do it 
it for the Disney Dish Show today. Don't forget that uh, Touring Plans does a virtual movie night every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, where the movie is related to a Disney or Universal theme park ride. Log on to the chat feature at touringplans.com or on Twitter. Use the hashtag LinerMovieNight, and we'll make goofy comments about the movie as it plays. I think, Jim, this week we're doing theme park attractions from Martin's Vids. So uh, Horizons, if you had wings, something like that. We'll see what uh, what happens. Uh, folks, there's a Twitter poll each week to pick the film. Go ahead and participate on that as well. And you can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's preparing an oyster barbecue sandwich for the food competition at the upcoming 14th annual Rockbridge Bull and Oyster Festival. It sounds dangerous. Saturday, October 17th, 2020, starting at 1 p.m. in beautiful downtown Rockbridge, Virginia. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.